Our God is good. And he wants to do something good in your life over the next few moments. I know that God has a word for you today. And one of the words for you today, I believe, is God's goodness is unlimited. God has enough goodness to go around. He doesn't want to leave you out. So let's pray to him. Dear God, we thank you that you're good. Sometimes we can't see the good because we have a limited perspective here on this earth. But Lord, you've been so good to us in so many ways. Everything we have comes from you. And Lord, I know that there are many within the sound of my voice who are going through some really bad things right now. And Lord, I know in your goodness, you're going to get them through. I thank you, Lord, that we can count on you because your name is always true. And we lift you up today, Jesus, and we ask you to just meet us right where we are. Lord, we just want to get real with you over the next few moments, and we thank you that you are real, and you want to do something real and life-changing in us. So do that. Work miracles, Lord. Work miracles in our lives. I pray for miracles of healing, healing relationships, healing broken hearts, healing bodies, healing broken emotions, healing hurts. We thank you, Lord, that you are a healer, and I pray that you would do that over the next few moments. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. In April 2013, a fishing vessel was attacked off the coast of South Africa, killing everyone on board. A TV crew documented marine biologist Colin Drake as he worked to determine the predator responsible. His discovery is presented in shocking footage that points to a monster shark of over 60 feet in length. Now, I just read the description of Discovery Channel's documentary that kicked off Shark Week 2013. The documentary was titled, Megalodon, The Monster Lives. The documentary showed that the prehistoric creature that went extinct ages ago had now returned to the ocean. They showed video of a whale washed ashore who had this huge bite taken out of its side that they measured, and it was the same dimensions as a megalodon's jaws. They had shark researchers and scientists explaining why they believed the evidence proved the 60-foot shark was not extinct after all, and there were still a few of them terrorizing the deep ocean. There was just one problem with the documentary. It was all a hoax. It was all fake. Everyone in the documentary are actors. Every piece of evidence was just made up. And despite a brief disclaimer that it was fiction, many people thought the documentary was real. The scientific community was furious at the Discovery Channel for confusing people instead of educating them about sharks. The network was bombarded with negative comments from irate viewers who felt they'd been lied to. And they felt that the network that was supposed to be educational had done it all for ratings. The big hoax created such a huge negative backlash, the Discovery Channel has never again produced a fictional documentary for Shark Week. But I want you to know that there's a much bigger and much more devastating hoax that so many of us have believed all our lives without even thinking to question it. It's the happiness hoax. And the lie goes something like this. The most important thing in my life is to be happy. 
whatever the cost. So my main goal in life is to be happy. But happiness comes from the happenings that are going on around us. That is, if everything that's happening in my life is perfect, then I'll be happy. If I can just get to the place where all my circumstances are perfect, I'll be happy. The problem is my circumstances are never perfect, so I'm never happy. In fact, if your goal in life is to be happy, it's guaranteed that you won't be. Because happiness is a hoax. It's an illusion on this earth that we're always trying to grasp, but it's always just a little bit outside of our reach. But like the megalodon, happiness used to exist. When God created Adam and Eve, he put them in this perfect place where all their circumstances were perfect, and they enjoyed total happiness in the Garden of Eden, totally connected to God's love and to each other in this perfect paradise. But when they disobeyed God and sin entered the world, Happiness became extinct in our broken and very imperfect world. Happiness will always be just out of reach because our fallen world is very far from perfect. Now, one day happiness will be restored. If you're a Christ follower, you will enter perfect happiness again in perfect heaven, the place of total fulfillment for all eternity. And that's why we have this ache in our soul for happiness You know, God placed it there, and we still feel these faint echoes of total happiness that emanate from the Garden of Eden so long ago. And we have this deep longing in our soul for happiness because our hearts were made for heaven. But here's the amazing thing. God loves us so much that even after the fall, we can find fulfillment here on this earth. Even in our brokenness, he wants to bless us. In fact, because there's no such thing as happiness on this earth, we can discover something so much more fulfilling than happiness, joy. And you can only discover the miracle of joy in the middle of imperfect circumstances. The divine gift of joy is something God wants to give us on this earth to prepare us for heaven, because even in perfect heaven, joy supersedes happiness. Once you've tasted joy, you'll never settle for happiness again. And the irony is, the perfect place to discover and develop joy is in an imperfect world. So you're in a really good setting to discover joy. You're in the perfect place to discover joy because it's so imperfect and broken here on this earth. And next weekend, we're starting our big fall series and church-wide adventure we're calling the Joy Challenge. And we're going to practice choosing joy for 30 days so that we can experience joy for the rest of our lives. So before we get started on the big series next weekend, the Joy Challenge, I want us to see how we can break free from the happiness hoax. Because if you fall for the happiness hoax, the sharks of discontentment start swimming in your mind and it quickly becomes a feeding frenzy of discontentment that eats away at your soul. So as we conclude this series, I want us to go back to the very first verse that we read several weeks ago that the whole series is based on, Romans 12, 2. So would you stand in honor of God's word and follow along with me? Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. You can be seated. I want you... To focus on that phrase, you'll be changed from the inside 
out. Joy comes from letting God change your heart and mind so you can discover a miracle that no circumstance can steal. But the happiness hoax, on the other hand, is all about changing from the outside in. We think, if I can change what's happening on the outside of my life, then I'll change the inside of my life. I'll experience happiness within. But when you try to change from the outside in, it just creates this deep discontentment that keeps you striving for something that's always just out of your reach. And when you can't reach it, you start blaming your circumstances for your unhappiness. Or you blame other people. It's my spouse's fault that I'm not happy. It's my job's fault that I'm not happy. It's my boss's fault that I'm not happy. It's my church's fault. It's this financial problem that keeps me from being happy. So we start trying to change our circumstances and we may change jobs, houses, spouses, churches, cities. We bounce around from one thing to the next thing and we see it all the time in our culture. I call it a pinball nation. We just bounce around from thing to thing, think, oh, this is great. Now I'm happy and it's good for a while but the sharks of discontentment swim in and they began to create this feeding frenzy of discontentment. And we bounce around thinking, well, this is gonna make me happy. And then we go to that next thing as we make that change and it works for a little while, but before you know it, we think, nah, maybe it's this and we change again to this and we just bounce around from thing to thing thinking that's gonna make us happy. And it never does. Why? Because wherever you go, there you are. You take the problem with you because the problem is you. We have to change from the inside out. Changing your circumstances, and there's nothing wrong with making changes. It's a good thing many times. It's just that if you think you're gonna step into perfection, you're sadly mistaken. If you think you're gonna step into happiness, you've fallen for the happiness hoax. We have to change from the inside out so no circumstance can steal our joy. I want you to look again at Romans 12, 2. First part of that verse from the message paraphrase, it says, don't become so well-adjusted to the culture that you fit into it without even thinking. We start to conform to this culture of discontentment without even thinking. Folks, we have a culture that's chasing after happiness full speed, doing whatever it takes, disregarding God's word and God's truth, saying, I gotta do whatever I need to do to feel happy. And people say, hey, just do what you want to feel happy. It's all about happiness. You've got to have happiness in your life. Who cares what anyone else thinks? You've got to be happy. And we have this culture that just chases after happiness and keeps chasing after happiness. And it really creates a culture of discontentment. All we have to show for it is a culture of discontentment. You know, when children, little ones, you know, when they're growing up, at first, it doesn't take much to keep them content. I mean, we have a 
or my son Josh and his wife Kelly have a foster child that just turned one and we had a big birthday party for him and you know he got all these presents but he didn't really care about the presents he was content with the wrapping you know he, that's, that's what he played with I've seen him play with um, an aluminum muffin pan for 30 minutes just banging it on the floor he's so content with it you know it's so great when the kids are little and it doesn't take much for them to be content. They're so glad to have these little things that are so inexpensive and they get passionate and excited. It's amazing what children get excited about, you know, because they haven't yet fallen into that happiness hoax and the peer pressure hasn't taken over and the culture hasn't really started to mold them into that culture of discontentment. When my a grandson, firstborn grandson Ben was two, he's now seven, but when he was two years old, he loved garbage trucks. And when the trash truck would come, he would just get so excited, he'd see it out the window and he'd get so excited for some reason. I mean, garbage trucks were everything to him and he just got so excited about them and he's loved them. And one of my favorite videos of all time that I've shown was five years ago when I showed this, when the garbage truck came one time and he happened to be outside and got real excited. Just watch. I love that. So excited. He's just shaking over that, you know, and we're going, that's a garbage truck, you know, but a lot of us, when we become adults, we're just chasing after trash. We think it's going to satisfy and we neglect treasure that God has for us, the treasure of joy and the treasure of deep connection with God and with others, those relationships that make life what it is that we were made for, but we're always searching after trash, thinking it's treasure. There's nothing wrong with things. There's nothing wrong with achievements, nothing wrong with success, but it will never bring you happiness. It just comes with more imperfection and more problems. I want you to look at Philippians 4, verse 11. It says, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is the Apostle Paul, and he wrote this from the Mamertine prison. He wrote this to the church of Philippi while he was in prison in Rome. And I've been to that prison, the remains of that prison. It's a dark, damp, awful place, really small. And, and Paul was there when he wrote this. And Philippians is known as the book of joy. And Paul writes this whole book that's about joy and how to have joy because it has nothing to do with circumstances. And it amazes me. I want joy like that that nothing in this imperfect, broken world can steal away. But he says, I've learned the secret of contentment. See, contentment is something I have to learn because it doesn't come naturally for me. It doesn't come naturally for you. It, normally, we're discontent. And we're thinking, if I just get that, if I just get to this place, if I just get through this problem, then I'll be happy. We fall for the happiness hoax and and it just doesn't come naturally for us, so we have to learn it. Now, Philippians 4.13, the last part of that passage I just read, the last verse there in the passage, 
is a verse that we quote often. Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Most of us know that passage. We've quoted it. We've claimed that promise. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but we usually don't think about the two verses before it, or we don't know the two verses before it, and we don't realize what Paul is saying that he needs Christ's strength for. He's saying, I can be content in any circumstance through Christ's strength in me. He's saying, I need the power of God so that I can learn contentment and I can experience joy that is is really so fulfilling and it's unsurpassing and it's something that the world cannot give and the world cannot understand. It's something that no money can buy. I have joy, one of the greatest gifts that God gives, but I needed the power of God to choose it. I needed God's power because it doesn't come naturally for me to learn this and to practice this so that now I experience this, I needed God's power because naturally I'm discontent. But with God's power supernaturally, I can experience something supernatural that only God gives from the inside out, joy. Whenever you learn something, you have to practice it, don't you? If you wanna learn how to play an instrument, you've gotta practice it. If you wanna learn a new hobby, you've gotta practice it. You've got to take lessons in it. You've got to practice over and over to learn something, to really learn something. And so that's what we have to do to learn to be content. We've got to practice three things that the scripture tells us. And if we practice these things, joy will start welling up in our souls. First, I've got to practice connection. Because disconnection is at the root of all discontentment. You were made for connection, a deep connection with God and with others. That's what you were created for, and you have this emptiness in your soul that can only be filled with connection from God and others. But instead of building close relationships and practicing connection, we practice comparing, and we miss out on connection. In 2 Corinthians 10, 12, it says, we do not dare classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. He's saying it's foolish to compare yourself with others because it always leads to discontentment. Whenever you compare yourself to someone else, you get in trouble. The sharks of discontentment start swimming in your mind and it starts eating away at your soul and it distracts you from your purpose because you say, I wish I had those gifts and you forget about the gifts that God has given you and you don't develop them and use them. Well, I wish I had that house and you don't appreciate what God has given you. And you live in the spirit of discontentment that steals away all your joy and it makes it impossible to experience God's gift of joy. We focus on everyone else, and it gets us so off track, and it really skews our perspective. We start comparing houses and cars and jobs and looks and clothes, and that comparison creates discontentment. How do you react when someone you know gets a nicer car than you? How do you react when someone you know gets a nicer house than you? 
How do you react? Do you go, man, I wish I had that. Is that your first thought? Does that well up in your soul? It's like, yeah, I'm excited for them. But, huh, I don't have that. I'm really excited for them. That's right, yeah. Thank you, God. You blessed them. Yeah, I'm a Christian, and I, I get really excited when people are blessed. Huh, I wonder why I don't have that. God, why have come? You haven't given me that. I mean, that's normally what we do. That comes natural to us. One of the greatest lessons that you'll learn in life is learning to admire without having to acquire. If the only time you rejoice and celebrate is when something good happens to you, you're gonna mess out on a lot of celebration in life. But when you practice contentment, you truly begin to get excited when someone else you know gets blessed. Sorry, going, man, that's so exciting. You see, I don't have to be blessed with something to enjoy it. I can enjoy when someone else is blessed and thank God for it and rejoice about it. And the real problem with comparing ourselves and wishing we had what someone else has and getting stuck in envy is we think that God's goodness is limited. We don't think there's enough of God's goodness to go around and we think because someone's blessed, I'm not gonna be blessed. Because someone gets this, then I'm never gonna experience the goodness of God in this area of my life. But there's enough of God's goodness to go around and just realize, hey, God blesses them, that's great, but he's blessed you so much, he's gonna keep blessing you. And don't focus on their blessings or you'll miss the blessing that's coming to you. You never compare yourself with anyone else because there's no one else like you. When God made you, he broke the mold of all the billions of people who ever lived no one else has your fingerprints. No one else has ever had your footprints. No one else has your gifts and total uniqueness because you're the only one like you. So isn't that dumb to compare yourself to someone else when no one else compares with you? And if you get distracted comparing yourself to someone else and trying to have what they have, and if you don't have what they have, then you feel discontent, then the whole world's gonna miss out on you being you, who God created you to be. He created you unique for a unique purpose, and if you get distracted by someone else's purpose, you miss your whole purpose in life. So we do not dare compare ourselves to others. Why do we compare? We compare because we're very insecure, and so we're always looking around to see how we're doing. We compare ourselves to feel good about ourselves, and we always look around, compare ourselves to see how we stack up, and a lot of times, we keep score by possessions, by things, by money, and that's the way our materialistic culture keeps score. We look and say, how am I doing compared to them? We think our net worth equals our self-worth, and we get so deceived and it leaves us even more discontent. And people will do just about anything to get a little bit more. I mean, really, it's the shark of never enough that comes into our lives, and and it's never enough, it's never enough. How much money do you need to be happy? Just a little bit more. Survey after survey has shown that when they ask people, no matter what they're making, they say, well, I, I know you're making this, but how much do you need to be happy? They, well, if I just had a little bit more here, it would sure help, it would ease things. And then if they make more, then that's that same question, how much do you need to be happy? Well, really, I mean, it's good, but I mean, if I had this, then... It'd be a little easier, or we could get this, we really need this. And everyone 
always says, just a little bit more. Because the shark of never enough keeps pushing you toward the happiness hoax that's always just out of your reach. And you get to another level, you find there's still problems. Get to another level, there's still problems. Sometimes there's more problems. And it's never enough. I've seen people, though, do all kinds of destructive things just to get a little bit more. People will sacrifice their values. They'll sacrifice relationships. It's like the lady who won the lottery and she won $32 million in the lottery. She called home to her living boyfriend and she said, you won't believe it. I just won the lottery, $32 million, start packing. And he said, warm weather or cold weather? She said, doesn't matter as long as you're gone by the time I get home. I mean, money changes things, doesn't it? Money changes things. Start thinking, huh, I'm a little better than them now. You know, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And people sacrifice relationships to get a little bit more. And people really sacrifice just about anything for a little bit of fame. If I can just get a few more followers, if I have a chance at fame, they'll sacrifice all their values. I know people who are really strong believers and they really believe and they really want to follow God, but then they have a chance for a little bit of fame, they'll change all their beliefs. That's because it was a belief and not a conviction. A belief is something that you hold to. Conviction is something that holds you. And and it's so destructive, but people will just sacrifice just about anything to get a little bit more because they think I'm supposed to be happy. Ecclesiastes 1.8 says, everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. And folks, this was written by King Solomon. He was one of the richest people to ever live. That was back when a buck was a buck, before all this inflation. I mean, he was very, very wealthy. And he answers here the question, How much money does it take to be happy? Just a little bit more. Why is it that so many people today are so dissatisfied and unfulfilled? It's because they're looking in the wrong places. You can't find it in pleasure or possessions or achievements. Nothing wrong with those things, but they just don't bring happiness. They just bring problems because there's always new problems and there's never perfection on this earth. See, you have a spiritual hunger for a deep connection with God and others, and nothing else can take the place of that. You're a spiritual creation. And most of us neglect our souls, and we wonder why we feel empty on the inside. God created you with this spiritual hunger to know him and have a deep connection with him and deep connection with others. That's why you were made. If you're not doing what you were made for, then you're not gonna be fulfilled. So many people are so dissatisfied today and it's because they neglect their soul. Mother Teresa used to say, in India, they're starving physically. In America, they're starving emotionally. It's a big difference between being filled and satisfied. You can fill up your schedule and be totally dissatisfied. You can fill up your schedule with all kinds of important things and be totally empty on the inside. A filled schedule but an empty soul. You can fill your life with pleasure and be totally empty on the inside because you have no time for real deep relationships. So we gotta practice connection. It doesn't come naturally, but we were supernaturally made for it. 
because we get so focused in on the happiness hoax and our culture pushes us into the mold of thinking that this is all there is, the here and now. It's all the things that you can see, the material things you can see, and we neglect the thing you can't see, your soul, which is more real than anything physical. And so we gotta practice connection. We're gonna have a great chance next weekend to start practicing connection because in this joy challenge, it's gonna last for five weeks, and so every weekend I'm gonna be teaching on the joy challenge. Next weekend, Chris and I are gonna kick it off and we're gonna talk about how you practice joy, how you choose joy. And so this message is just preparing us for that because there are all kinds of amazing truths about joy and how you begin to learn it and a lot of it comes down to it's a choice. Whether you feel it or not, you choose it and then the feeling comes along and then you begin to experience something that no circumstance can steal and so we're gonna teach on it for five weekends in a row and then all of our life groups are going through the joy challenge to take it a little extra step and really learn to practice it by developing connection and relationships with others. And so we want every life group to go through the joy challenge. And we're gonna be sending you the curriculum. All you have to do is download the curriculum, um, the questions and the videos that Chris and I'll do, they're just 10 minutes. And so one night a week, um, get together, have some food, maybe some refreshments, just put the video on for 10 minutes, discuss the questions, encourage each other, have fun, and you develop connection that you need, and I'm telling you, it would change your life. You don't have time for it, I know that. You're a little anxious about it, ooh, meeting some new people. But I'm telling you, this is one of the most important things in life, and we fill up our schedules but we're empty because we don't make time for the very thing that we were made for, connection. And so if you're not in a life group, we want everyone to get in a life group. You know, we're starting hundreds of new life groups. We want everyone to get in a life group and this is your chance. And so I gave you as you walked in this little card. It says the Joy Challenge. And on one side it says host a Joy Challenge life group. And that's a great way to get into a life group. All you have to do is Invite a few friends, two or three friends, neighbors, relatives. Invite a few friends you like to be with, and then you open up your home one night a week for five weeks, and then we will send you some other people at your life stage or who live next to you, and then you'll have your little life group, and then you just pop in the video, you talk about the questions, you get to know each other, have some refreshments, Maybe say, hey guys, next week we meet at one of your houses. And it's just five weeks, that's it. If you don't like it, if you find it unfulfilling, or you got a lot of weird people in your group, just stop. If you got a lot of weird people in your group, just stop and get another group, you know? But I'm telling you, I'm tell we send you people the same ages and stages? No, that's really rare. If I come to your group, that's when it gets weird. Everybody just goes, ooh. Put away the refreshments, you know? It's like, <laughs> we were having a great life group. <laughs> we were doing some life together, you know? We don't know each other's names, but we've been having fun, you know? But I'm telling you, this will change your life forever. And so host one or join one, at least join one for five weeks. Make a commitment for one night a week for five weeks. Well, I don't have time. 
Well, you could probably make three or four of them. And so sign up today because we get started about a week and a half from now doing the life groups. We'll send you all the information you need. If you host, we're gonna help you all on the way. If you sign up, we're gonna call you this week and help you, but basically look at the sign up. Join a life group. Just put your name, phone number, and all this is on wc.org as well. You can sign up. Type of group, singles, couples, men, women. And we also wanna put you in ages and stages and in neighborhoods together. So they'll be calling you this week to find out that and um, put the days of the week, all those things. And we will connect you. Just take a little baby step and God will take you the rest of the way. It's so important, I'm telling you, you're not gonna have time for it. But really, you don't have time. You have the time that God's given you. You're just using it on things that are trash instead of treasure. Don't follow the trash truck. Just connect to the treasure. But then I want you to see a second thing. Practice connection, but you've got to, to get rid of the shark of discontentment and break free from the happiness hoax, you've got to practice gratitude. And that's something you've got to practice whether you feel it or not, and then it begins to take over your soul. Ecclesiastes 5.19 says, if God gives us wealth and property and lets us enjoy them, we should be grateful and enjoy what we have worked for. It is a gift from God. God says everything you have is a gift. And learn to be grateful for what God has given you. Instead of being grateful, we usually grumble, though. There's something about our human nature that we have the ability to just see and focus on the negative rather than all the blessings. If I put a huge canvas up here that reached to the ceiling and went all the way across the front and it was all white except for one red dot in the middle. What would you focus on, that red dot? And that's the way we are. We got all these blessings of God all around us. What do we focus on? The one problem. And we think, I can't be happy until I get rid of that red dot. And we don't enjoy life. We don't experience the joy that God has for us. You see, we're always looking for the next thing to make us happy. We think, when I get blank, you just fill in the blank, then I'll be happy. When I get blank, then I'll be happy. When I get through this really stressful season, then I'll be happy. When I get this problem out of my way, then I'll be happy. When I get this circumstance changed, then I'll be happy. When I get married, then I'll be happy. When we get this house finally built, then we'll be happy. When I get that new job or that promotion, then I'll be happy. And then you get those things and it doesn't make you happy. When I get that, then I'll be happy. No, you won't. No, you won't. There'll just be more problems and you'll go then. When I get to this situation, then I'll be happy. When I get to this season, then I'll be happy. No, you won't. We're always waiting for happiness, and when you're waiting for happiness, that will wear you out and leave you totally empty. We're always waiting to live. Can't really live totally now, can't really enjoy life now because gotta get to this place. It's tough right now, but when I get to this place, then I'll be happy. When I get all these problems out of my life, then I'll be happy. When I get the stress out of my life here, then I'll be happy. No, you won't. We're always waiting to live. When are we gonna wake up and realize this is our one and only life here on this earth and we gotta stop waiting to live and enjoy every moment, every exhilarating moment, every crowded moment, every mundane moment, every joy-filled moment, every painful moment. This is your life. We're always waiting to enjoy life. 
people always say, well, one day we'll look back and laugh about this thing. Just laugh now. Just laugh now. Enjoy life now because this is your life. Practice gratitude. So what are you waiting on to make you happy? You're waiting in vain. Joy is not getting whatever you want. Joy is appreciating and enjoying whatever you have. Celebrate the season you're in. Never wait to celebrate. Celebrate what God has given you. Never wait to celebrate. And God enjoys watching his kids enjoy what he's given them. Did you know that? God loves to watch you enjoy the things that he's blessed you with and everything you have comes from God. He wants you to enjoy it. That's part of gratitude. He wants you to celebrate those things, to thank him instead of grumbling, complaining. I remember when my two oldest boys were teenagers and, and we had a guy's trip that I took them on one weekend where we had two friends, their two friends, some of their best friends, and I took them up to Dallas, we went to Six Flags. And I'm not much for roller coasters, but my kids at that age in junior high, man, it was everything. And it was a day that wasn't very crowded, so the first thing we did was ride the biggest roller coaster, which roller coasters just give me a headache and kind of bang me around, you know, and I, I can take them or leave them. My boys just loved it. And so then the line was real short. She said, let's get back on the roller coaster. Said, okay, let's do it again. And then we finished, let's do it again. And then let's go to that roller coaster. And we, all we did was ride roller coasters the whole day. And about halfway through the day, one of my kids says, man, I feel so sick from that last one. And he just threw up and he goes, man, this is awesome. Let's go ride another one. <laughs> I'm going, what? And I remember the next day, I felt like I'd been in a car wreck. And I had a terrible hangover. I mean, it was horrible. But I'm telling you, all that day, I loved it. Didn't like the roller coasters at all. But why did I love it? I loved watching my kids be so joyful. Thanks, Dad, for taking us. This is awesome. Oh, yeah, it's awesome, all right. But I loved it. Why? Because I loved watching my kids enjoy it. And your daddy God loves watching you enjoy the things he's given you. But nobody likes it when... You give someone something and they have no appreciation for it. Uh, they think, hmm, wish I had something else. God loves it when you enjoy the things that he's given you. So we practice gratitude. And there's a third thing, maybe the most important, practice giving. You can't break free from the happiness hoax and find fulfillment without practicing giving and making it a habit. In 1 Timothy 6, 17, it says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and be generous and willing to share. In this way, they lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. First, who's he talking to here? He says, command those who are, it's a commandment, those who are rich. Well, if you live in America, you're rich compared to the rest of the world. You're in like the top 10% of income, even if you're on welfare, because half the world lives on less than $10 a day. And so he's talking to every one of us, but it's okay as long as we follow this passage, you see, materialism leads to the deepest discontentment. So is it possible to be wealthy and not materialistic? Yes. Materialism is an attitude. You can be poor and greedy or rich and greedy. 
You can be poor and content or wealthy and content. It's all about an attitude. And as long as you do these things, he says, okay. First, he says, don't become proud of your wealth. Don't think you're better than someone else. Don't look down on someone because they don't have what you've got. Doesn't matter if they're a beggar on the street or a billionaire, if they're a drug addict or a doctor. It doesn't matter. God created everyone and he loves everyone just the same. And when we treat someone less than, then we're treating Jesus like that because he said, I am the least of these. And when you minister to the least of these, you minister to me. And so don't ever look down on anybody. And then secondly, don't put your trust in money. Don't put security in what you have, no matter how much or how little, put your trust in God, who never changes. And then thirdly, be grateful. Enjoy what you have instead of always thinking you gotta have a little more to be happy. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with the desire to acquire. God put that in you. There's nothing wrong with wanting to better your life, with wanting to do better, with wanting to excel and succeed. Nothing wrong with that. It's just that when you focus on that rather than God, it starts to control you. Your possessions start to possess you and it steals away all your joy. So focus on God and let him be your security and then give generously. And the Bible says the more we receive, the more we're to give. If you do those four things, you'll be okay. Giving is the only thing that repels the shark of materialism. That's what it comes down to because giving's the opposite of materialism. Materialism is get, 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 and the opposite of getting is giving. And the only way you can raise kids, parents, in a materialistic society and repel the shark of materialism is to teach them to give. That's it. That's the big one right there. Teach them to be generous and to give. So every time you give your tithe, you give generously, you give to make a difference in someone's life, you give to help someone out. Every time you give, it's a spiritual victory. It makes a difference in lives, especially your life, and God blesses you. But it's a spiritual victory because it doesn't come naturally. It comes supernaturally, and you gotta practice it. You gotta practice it, and then it begins to fill up your soul with joy, but you gotta practice it, and it's a spiritual victory because it breaks you free from the happiness hoax and all those sharks of discontentment. It breaks you free from materialism. For you see, when we have trouble giving, it's because materialism has really warped our perspective because we just think everything that's real is just here on this earth, everything that you can see. We think the most important thing is things. We start thinking all there is is all these things on this earth and we think we're gonna be here on this earth forever so we focus on those things and that's a warped perspective because we're gonna be in eternity forever, just a short time on this earth. And God says there are three things that are gonna really last for all eternity. God's word, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. The second thing is the values of faith, hope, and love. The things you can't see are gonna last forever. And the souls of men and women, that's gonna last forever. And that's all about relationships, our relationship with God and our relationship with the people around us, connecting with others, in deep and encouraging relationships, that's what it comes down to. That's what you were made for. So focus on eternal things and you'll be filled with joy. And you'll use 
things and love people rather than loving things and using people. And it'll be life-changing. Every time a really wealthy person, some of the richest people in the world die, there's always a question that's asked. It's how much did they leave behind? And I can give you the answer every time. They leave it all. All, you don't take it with you. I mean, you die and it's done. We're all the same in that. Whether you're a beggar or a billionaire, we're all the same in that. We leave it all. But the good thing is you can send it on ahead. You can invest in eternity and changing lives and, and it breaks you free from this grip of materialism and then it blesses you here on this earth because God says you can't outgive me. But most importantly, it starts to fill you with joy. You see, it really comes down to we tend to believe that God's goodness is limited. But if you really begin to understand God, you see his goodness is beyond measure and there's enough goodness to go around. So you give because the more you give, the more you experience God's goodness. You practice gratitude because the more you do, you experience God's goodness. You practice connection because the more you do, you experience God's goodness and you realize there's enough of God's goodness to go around and you focus on God's goodness even in the middle of bad things that come into your life, and it changes everything. You see, there's some names of God in the Old Testament, quite a few names of God in the Old Testament, and they describe God's name and what he does, and God always is faithful to his name. He's got a good name in the business of life. You can trust his name. There's Jehovah Shalom, and it means God is my peace. You can trust that he can give you peace. There's Jehovah Sidkenun, it means God is my righteousness. We can trust that God has made us righteous in Christ. There's Jehovah Rapha, it means God is my healer. And we can trust that God heals. And then there's Jehovah Jireh, which means God is my provider, that he can provide everything I need according to his riches and glory. You claim that this week, God is my provider, and it will free you up knowing God is your provider that he provides you with everything you need and he will give you all the, he knows what you need. He cares about your needs and he can give you everything you need but you gotta practice these things and they fill your life up and you focus on God, Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides everything I need. I want us to bow together and pray right now. Lord, as we start this new adventure, Joy Challenge next week, Lord, I know it's gonna be life-changing because this is, one of our greatest needs. Even as Christ followers, Lord, we fall for the happiness hoax. It's just so tempting and our culture just begins to conform us. We just fall into the culture and follow the culture rather than you, Christ. And, and as we do, we follow the culture of discontentment and it just eats away at our soul and I pray that starting next weekend and really starting this week, we'll begin to practice these things in such a way that it changes us forever. I thank you for how you're gonna teach us joy. And we need it so much, Lord, because when we experience joy, we'll never settle for happiness again. And Lord, I just pray for all those that have never experienced joy at all because they don't know you. Jesus, you are joy. It's your name that we lift up because all the names of God are encapsulated in you, the name of Jesus, the name that's above all others. And Lord, I pray right now that those who don't know you would just pray this prayer silently to you. Dear Jesus Christ, I need you. 
I've been searching for so many things and they've left me empty. So I ask you to come into my emptiness and fill me up. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins and give me a fresh start and I accept your free gift of salvation in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer to receive Christ, he is in your life, this Holy Spirit, and he will change you from the inside out. Now you have to renew your mind by getting into God's word, by getting connected to other believers and growing in your faith, and it changes your mind, which continues to change your life. If you prayed to receive Christ online, just check. I prayed to receive Christ. There's a little hand there. And if you prayed to receive Christ at the Willens campus or Itascacita campus, tell a pastor on your way out. We wanna help you grow in your faith. Well, now we're gonna take our offering. We're gonna practice that third thing, giving. And I just challenge you, if you've never given, start. Start giving, and maybe you start small and work your way up to tithing, giving God what he commands us to give. Or maybe you just start today practicing tithing, giving that first 10%, and when you do, God meets your needs. He blesses you. You cannot outgive God. He promises you that. But at least just start working your way up. And, you know, I know so many of you have been tithing for years and following him for years, and, and you know the blessings of it. But we want to give right now because we get to give. And we thank God for all that he's given us. And we give because we love, too, what he's doing through the ministries and missions of Willand Church. Now, there's several ways to give. You can take out your smartphone, and you can just text the word give WC. Put it together as one word, give WC to 77977. And then you can set up recurrent giving, give a one-time gift. Then there's wc.org slash give. That's online. If you're worshiping with us online, I really challenge you to start giving if you haven't been. I know so many of you do, but just go right there to that button, that give button, and you can get started and set up recurrent giving because it's really important. You can mail in your gift. You can give stocks, assets. It doesn't matter how you give. What matters is you do give. You become a giver rather than a taker. And you think, well, I can't afford to give, but really can't afford not to because you want God to work in a very important area of your life. And so, and one way to give is right here. We're gonna take our offering right now. So I wanna ask our ushers to come and start taking our offering as we give in this time of worship. And as they're taking the offering, I got a couple announcements to make. First, women's Bible study is starting up. It's starting September 22nd. It's gonna be every Thursday, um, through the middle of November at 9.30 on the Woodlands campus starting September 22nd. And at the Tascacita campus, it starts Thursday, September 29th. And the best thing is my wife, Chris Shook, is teaching the Bible study this fall. We want all of you ladies to sign up because it's gonna be great worship, great teaching, and then you break into little life groups and you discuss and you get connected with others. It's really important. And the way you sign up, go online. Put it up there, guys. You go online and you see at the bottom it says, Women's Bible study. Click on that, and then you sign up. Now, child care is provided at both of our campuses, but you need to let them know the ages and uh, the amount of kids you got so they can be prepared for the child care. But it's gonna be amazing. Get signed up for Women's Bible study starting September 22nd and September 29th at 9.30 in the morning. And by the way, we've got Real Moms kicking off in September too. Real Moms is for moms of preschoolers and they get together, and it's on another day, so you can go to both. And soon we're gonna be announcing the men's study and uh, the things that we're gonna be doing to really encourage men. 
but we want everyone to get in a Joy Challenge life group. We've got men, singles, couples. Um, it's gonna be in women's, of course, with women's Bible study and women's that are in homes, so it's gonna be an amazing Joy Challenge coming up. Hey, by the way, we have our fall baptism right after this service, and we've heated up the baptistry pool, and so if you're being baptized, or maybe you weren't even planning on it, but God's tugged at your heart to be baptized to show your faith in Jesus Christ, then just come up here after the service, right over here, and then we're gonna take you out to the dressing rooms. We've got clothes, we've got shorts and shirts of every size, and then out to the baptism pool to have a huge celebration. And everyone's welcome to come celebrate with us. Let's stand together because I believe that God wants to provide for you this week. He wants to show you what I'm praying is that you're gonna experience some of God's goodness this week. But you need to expect it, you need to look for it. Many times God wants to bring something so good into our lives but we're not looking for it because we're looking at that red dot. We're following the illusion of happiness when God wants to give us joy right there, something good, something powerful, a blessing, a provision. And so you look for it this week and you believe in the goodness of God. Even when bad things come your way, you believe in the goodness of God because I'm telling you, God's goodness is coming. He is Jehovah Jireh, our provider. Do you believe God's gonna provide for you this week? That's what I'm praying. Stop looking at what someone else has and get ready to receive what God is about to give you. Don't get distracted from the blessing that's on its way. Open up your heart, open up your mind, open up your life, and you look for it this week. I'm praying God's goodness is gonna hit you in a collision of divine glory this week. And so you be ready for it because he is Jehovah Jireh. And as we focus on him and we praise him, Something happens in our lives powerfully. God inhabits the praises of his people and you're gonna experience the goodness of God right now as you claim that he is God my provider. God my provider, God your provider. He's the personal provider for you and he will provide for you according to his riches and glory. The God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the hills those cattle are upon, the king of glory, the king of this earth and the king of eternity can provide for you. Do you believe that? Well, let's sing with all our hearts, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Hey church, thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.